following lecture was produced by the Gnostic Academy of Chicago, a nonprofit organization, and is one of many available for podcast, download, and transcription. You can visit chicagonosis.org to find courses, articles, scriptures, commentaries, and other valuable resources that address a wide variety of spiritual subjects, interests, and needs. Through the generous support of listeners like you, the Gnostic Academy of Chicago has produced online courses, lectures, and articles freely available worldwide. If you have benefited from this knowledge, help humanity through making a tax-deductible donation at chicagonosis.org. If you are interested in attending the Gnostic Academy of Chicago in person, you may view our online class schedule and freely register at meetup.com slash chicagonosis. The Chicagoland Gnostic Academy provides humanity with the necessary means for transforming suffering and acquiring personal knowledge of the divine. With this purpose in mind, we now begin the lecture. May all beings be happy. We've arrived at the 15th Arcanum, the tarot card associated with the devil, which in religious studies and esotericism constitutes one of the most controversial topics for so-called spiritual people. There are many misunderstandings about what the devil is. Religion, which has been sterilized of any genuine meaning, has become a caricature which people either adulate or reject. A type of mythology that people are fascinated with, but who do not comprehend its genuine meaning. This type of subject is very thorny, especially amongst Jews, Christians, and Muslims. But today we'll talk about the genuine role of the devil, what Diablo is, who is the tempter that every initiate on the path of the Bodhisattva must face in order to conquer him or herself. Many people have psychological traumas associated with religion especially due to a poor miseducation growing up in Catholic school, learning about this demonic figure in red with horns and a pitchfork and a tail, which is ridiculous to atheists and which we agree because that type of depiction of shaitan, which is Hebrew for adversary, does not have any real meaning. People think that this figure is external to oneself, failing to realize that these are symbols, these are archetypes, these are principles. People fail to see the practical symbology of these myths, the purpose of the tempter. Without temptation, there is no light. We must learn to face great ordeals 
given to us by divinity in order to conquer ourselves. Jesus, fasting 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness, was tempted by the devil. But that type of conflict was given to him by divinity as a test to secure his prophethood. Likewise, just as Jesus must face temptation in the wilderness, Bemidbar in Hebrew, the wilderness of initiation, likewise we too must face our own particular devil, our tempter, so that through that conflict, we acquire a type of training, a type of discipline, because it is precisely through the most difficult circumstances of life when we face great crises, emotional trauma, psychological conflict and despair in which the most submerged egos emerge within the screen of our attention so that we can see those faults and comprehend them. If there were no temptation, there would be no light because temptation is fire. Triumph over temptation is light. So who is Lucifer? Luciferus in Latin, bearer of light. That name was actually given to a pope, I believe, in the Catholic Church, or a series of popes. Before that name became denigrated after John Milton's composition, Paradise Lost. But that word means carrier of light. And what is that light? It is Christ. The devil... Shaitan, Lucifer, is part of our being who gives us the psychological impetus, the sexual volition, the ordeals of life so that we can gain knowledge of who we are, what we need to die in as an ego. That part of divinity mixes with the impurities. This might confound theologians we're very used to this binary between God being above, devil being below. Not understanding that Lucifer in us is mixed. He is the light of Christ, but hidden within the inferno. And as we've stated in the magician card, we must descend into the inferno in order to rise up with light. Hell is the antechamber of heaven. If we don't go through the most terrible ordeals, where the water boils at 100 degrees Celsius, we cannot disintegrate which must be disintegrated. We cannot die in that which must be eliminated. It's interesting that in this card, 15, the synthesis is 6. 1 plus 5 is 6. Indecision, the arcanum of the lovers, alchemy. How is it that we learn to conquer temptation? If one is married... One learns to face in the sexual act the temptations of the flesh, the desire and the lust to procreate like an animal, to give in to desire. But if one, in those delightful moments of love, begins to transform the psyche, then we conquer temptation and develop light. We must sublimate the creative energies in a matrimony. One plus five is six. One faces that precise passion of animality 
when in the sexual act, which is why the couple in the perfect matrimony must work very hard to control the mind, not to identify with desire, but to learn how to kiss and to enjoy the delights of love with purity, without fornication. Remember that Jesus was crucified from the sixth to the ninth hour upon Golgotha, Arcanum 6, the lovers, and Arcanum 9, initiation, the hermit. But of course, these meanings and symbols are very abstract for people. They don't like to think that the devil is something inside. Lucifer is our psychological trainer, our being who knows our ego very well, and will provide us circumstances by which that type of defect will emerge, and we will see it in action if we're diligent, if we're vigilant. Lucifer is Diablo. As we mentioned in the lecture on Turandot, E-A-O. Those are the mantras of Christ, the supreme mantras of sexual magic. E-A-O, ignis agua origo, reminds us of the three brains, intellect, emotion, motor instinctive sexuality. Because when a couple is united sexually, the three brains become inflamed. The mind is charged. The heart is charged. The sexual glands are in excitement. The hormones circulate. The energies fluctuate and flow and generate life internally if that energy is never expelled. This is the meaning of the lovers, Arcadum 6. But by working with the science of love, we work with the three elements, Aleph, Shin, Mem, Ignis, Agua, Origo, fire, water, spirit. And in that way, by conserving that power and conquering the temptations of our own inner Lucifer, we gain knowledge. We gain wisdom. We gain self-realization. If there is no possibility of failure, there cannot be victory. It's a simple binary. And in the same manner, this path of self-realization is predicated on the work of the death of the ego and conquering Luciferic temptation, which is the sexual fire. That fire is not good or evil. It's beyond good and evil. But how we use that energy determines whether we are working with the right pillar, which is purity, mercy, or the left pillar, klipot, because that pillar descends down into the infernos, as we explain in Arcanum 8. And that fire... That serpent, Pingala, or better said, Ida, which has fallen, needs to be raised back up to the brain. Because the solar serpent, or Vav in Hebrew, is upright. Zayin has fallen in us. But through the work of the perfect matrimony, that fire is raised. It is liberated. So Vav and Zayin, purity and impurity, good and evil. Lucifer is beyond good and evil if we conquer his temptations in us, if we cooperate in the great work of the Father, then Lucifer integrates with the being in us when he's purified and makes us terribly divine archangels. But if we don't conquer his temptations, if we give in to lust, we become terribly perverse demons. So the 15th Arcanum teaches the work 
of disintegrating the ego. And as we said, we must overcome sexual passion, desire, if we want to follow the passion of Christ. Let us look at the card. In the lower third of the card, we have a depiction of two triangles, which some island VR states reminds us of Giburah, the law. Giburah is the sixth sephirah from the bottom up the tree of life, beyond Tifereth. So the sexual strength of God is Giburah, the divine soul, Neshama. Geburah reminds us of Geburael, Gabriel. Gibur is the swastika, the cross, upon which the spirit of El circulates, flows within our interior, within our chakras. Geburael, the strength of God, is precisely represented in this card. Because as these triangles demonstrate, refers to the pyramid. And a pyramid refers to solar bodies, solar vehicles, or the innermost, which we'd build in us, that temple, by working with the devil, with Lucifer, by purifying this figure, which in us is blackened. We see Typhon Baphomet, as taught amongst the Freemasons, the male good of Mendes, holding a staff of power in his left hand and a serpent in his right. The serpent on his right ascends. So his hands are opposite of the magician card in the beginning of this course, where the magician is pointing his left hand up to heaven and his right hand down, indicating that if we want to ascend to Christ, we have to first descend into the inferno. And likewise, Typhon Baphomet is the shadow of Osiris, the shadow of the Lord. He is Christ, but in hell. And so this duality of magician and Lucifer indicates for us that the devil figure is working very diligently with the magician because the magician is opposite, is the father. Up above in heaven, that force is pure. But we have Lucifer, the bearer of light, who in us, because of our mistakes, is blackened with ego, is filthy. But Lucifer works very hard on us to help us become archangels. He's not an evil figure. He's actually our best friend. Because if there were no temptations, no difficulties, we could not acquire the rose of virtue, the rose of purity, the development of the soul. So he's indicating here, with his left hand, the staff of the spinal medulla, the tree of life, which we must conquer in us by working with the serpent in his right hand, which is in the accordance with Arcanamate, is Pingala, the right serpent. So he's indicating that, yes, he is very degenerate in us, but can become purified if we work with the solar forces. So the left hand is feminine, as we stated the left pillar. And as I said, that power is fallen in us. Zayin is in hell. We have to liberate that force up the spine 
We must conquer the tail of the Kunda buffer, as we see in this figure, which is projecting down into the infernals by working in alchemy. The breasts of Typhon Baphomet indicate his androgynous nature. He covers wisdom with his apron, which is from his tail descends. So why is it that he is depicted with breasts if he is a male figure, or better said, androgynous figure? It's because in order to purify Lucifer in us, we must become androgynous by working in a matrimony. Because when husband and wife are united, they become one unity, one force, one terribly divine Elohim. El in Hebrew is God. Eloah is goddess. Yodmem, masculine plural at the end, is gods and goddesses. So he's indicating precisely the path of passion, the passion of Christ, the path of the crucifixion, the work of the cross, because it's on the cross in which we face all the temptations of the flesh and learn to die to the ego. We notice that the face of this figure is deformed, but that's precisely due to our mistakes. So the fanaticism of certain groups that blame some external figure for all the problems of the world is ludicrous, is childish. Because the devil's inside of us. That fire, that sexual energy, is polarized in the Kunda buffer, in hell, because we chose fornication due to the original sin. But we have to learn to purify Lucifer, create light by annihilating the ego. So Baphomet is the brass of alchemy that humanity has blackened due to degeneration. Salman Veor mentions many times that we must whiten the brass, the devil, so that we can enter the temple of mysteries. He is the guardian of the door. He carries the sword of the kundalini in his hand saying, if you wish to enter the tree of life, you must learn to conquer yourself and not be an infidel. But those fornicators who choose to indulge in passion, he rejects and sends them into the infernal worlds to be degenerated, to devolve, to enter the second death. But we have to understand that he holds the key to the temple because the sexual gate is the gate to Eden, to bliss. Eden in Hebrew is bliss, voluptuousness, sexuality. So he proposes very difficult tests to determine if the soul is worthy of entering the higher mysteries. Remember that Job in the Bible was tempted by the devil, by the will of the magician, his inner Christ. So notice the duality here. Magician above with the opposite hands pointing different directions. And the tempter, this figure, which scares many people. But we should not be scared of ourselves because Lucifer is in us, part of our being, part of our true nature. But he is very tricky. He is very difficult because his types of methods are unusual. But he preserves serves a divine purpose. He is allowed by God within us to tempt us. So that by purifying the ego, we purify Lucifer. We generate light. 
And therefore we create the brazen serpent, the serpent of brass, which heals the Israelites in the wilderness. So brass is an alchemical element composed of copper and tin, male-female. So it is working in a matrimony that those fires are purified in us. They are perfected. So we must learn to steal fire from the devil, from this figure. And what does it mean to steal the fire from the devil? It means that when one is married and is transmuting in the sexual act, the couple does not give in to lust, does not feed desire, but sends the energies up the spine to the heart. That is the beginning of death. And it is the principle of Genesis, the six days of creation of the world, which, Arcanum 6, is the lover's how we create the soul, the solar bodies. By stealing the fire from the devil, we become gods. And it means that we don't feed ego. So we make a very strong distinction here, which confuses many people in Gnosis, between Lucifer and ego. The ego is shaitan, in many senses. Shaitan, in Hebrew, means adversary. Ego, defects, desires. Lucifer is the light of Christ, but which mixes with the impurity, is separate but is immersed in it. That force is very dynamic. It can create stars, planets, galaxies, and also create the soul. But we must learn to steal that light from desire when one is married. In this card, we see a few symbols of which we'll talk about. We have the Hebrew letter Samek in the top right, indicating the Auroboros, the serpent biting its tail, the serpents of fire, the serpents of light. We have the sign of Leo, the solar forces, which reminds us of how by conquering the devil, we become lions of Judah, Christic masters, resurrected ones. We also have the sign of Neptune on the bottom right because that trident is the three primary forces which I believe in Dante's Divine Comedy. He depicts the devil as having a trident which of course in modern art is very denigrated and ridiculed. A caricature as I said. But those three points represent the three primary forces. Keter, Chokmah, Bina. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Because by working with those three primary forces, we work with the powers of Lucifer, the sexual energy. So Lucifer has the upright pentagram on his head, indicating that through him is how we rise. So some people make the distinction, or better said, they become confused with the misappropriation of the pentagram in modern culture. People don't understand what the inverter pentagram means or what the upright pentagram means. They usually confuse the two. The fallen pentagram, which the head descending down into Klippot, is the male goat of Mendez, is the ego, is the witch's Sabbath, the forces of Christ descending and entering the infernal worlds to degenerate. But the upright pentagram is when those energies go up. When the human being is made the pentagram, their head upright, as we do when we seal ourselves with ru- from runes. 
or after runes. So the upright pentagram is the Ain Sof, our superatomic star, of which Salman Vihar speaks extensively about how the Ain Sof is Christus Lucifer. That light emerges from our own true being, which is a point of light within the abstract, absolute space, our true identity. But Lucifer is the light that emerges from that star which guides our interior. And so the upright pentagram is very positive. So why is it that a devil figure would have a positive symbol on his head if he was entirely evil? It's incongruous, incongruent. But we have to realize that Lucifer is our being, who is our great helper, but also our greatest enemy. The caduceus of Mercury and some symbols of Typhon Baphomet emerges from his sexual organs, indicating that it is through the power of sexuality in which we raise Ida, Pingala, to create the wings of the spirit. And this figure is often depicted with wings as a fallen angel because that power has fallen in us. But if we return the light up back to the Ain Sof and acquire Ain Sof Paranishpana, absolute knowledge of the absolute, then those wings become heavenly, pure. This is the power of Kundalini, which is only developed in us when we dissolve the ego. Because each vertebra of the spine is an ordeal, is a test. The 33 spinal medulla, or canyons of the spine, represent tests and ordeals that we have to face. In order to raise the kundalini up one vertebra of the spine, we have to face great trials up each canyon until reaching the head, Golgatha. Because you remember that 3 plus 3 is 6. Indecision, the lovers. Indecision is precisely what every couple faces when that fire is strong and desire is stimulated. But by renouncing desire, renouncing ego, the couple conquers. Typhon Baphomet is an interesting acrostic. The Templars spelled Baphomet backwards as Temopab, which is an uh, acronym for Templi Ominun Hominun Pachis Abbas, which means the father of the temple of the universal peace for men. So Typhon Baphomet is the shadow of the Logos. He is part of divinity, but who mixes with impurity so that when we learn to work with that energy and conquer ourselves, he becomes purified, liberated. He is Prometheus among the Greeks. The Greeks depicted Prometheus being punished by the gods, by Zeus, for having given fire to man. It's a symbol of how that energy of Lucifer is fire, sexual creative power. But when humanity abuses that energy, they dishonor the gods, which is why Lucifer becomes chained to a rock in which a vulture daily devours his, his liver. Because in the liver, we find all the forces of the sexual energy circulating. Powers of desire also are situated there. 
relate to that organ. We have to free Prometheus from the rock of Yasod by breaking the chains of the ego, the mind, so that he can become purified and liberated and can transform us into angels, or better said, archangels. So, Baphomet, Temopab, is the father of the temple of the universal peace for men. This reminds us of the common prayer, Hallelujah. Yah is the father, Keter. But who is Hillel? Hallelujah. Christians like to repeat this phrase many times, even Jews. The word Hillel comes from, I believe, the book of Isaiah. Hillel ben Shachar, glorified son of the dawn. How art thou fallen, son of the dawn? Lucifer, the light. Because that light is Christ. But is entered into temptation, desire, condition, elements. Hillel means praised one. Praise son of the dawn. Hallelujah means praise Yah. Praise God. So when the Christians say hallelujah, I mean, they're ignoring that the way that you praise God is by conquering lust, by working with the sexual force of Lucifer, generate light. So it's hypocritical that they condemn Lucifer, the light of Christ, the tempter. But praise Yah. You cannot praise Yah up your spinal column because Yah, Yod, He is in the head. You could say, if you transpose those letters, Yod is the head, He is the throat, the verb. So it is through the Yod, He, and then Vav in the heart, and He in sex, in which we work in alchemy, allegorically speaking. But, Hallelujah, praise Yah. And the way that we praise God is by working in the perfect matrimony and not giving in to desire ever. So those Christians who like to fornicate are really just Judas. Because remember that Judas was a symbol of desire. He's an apostle who loves Jesus very much but betrays Christ because he loves fornication more. Well, uh, good question. Because single people learn to face Lucifer as a single person to a minor degree. There's certain ordeals that occur as a result of working in a, as a single, as a bachelor. And I remember having many experiences with my own inner Lucifer, of which I'm going to relate later, in which, while well, being single at the time, that uh, experience was very profound, telling me and warning me and giving me insight about what the perfect matrimony is. So, Arcanum 15 occurs after 13, the death of the ego, which produces chastity, which is Arcanum 14, temperance. So 15 is the divine androgyny, which shines rebelliously when we conquer ourselves, when the brass is whitewashed, when copper and tin, man and woman, are working together. As we said, Lucifer is Osiris, the shadow of Osiris. Osiris is the sun, the Platonic Logos, Christ. But we have to understand that Lucifer is that light, 
but inverted, trapped, but who works in us very hard so that we can learn to change and sees being demons. The devil is often depicted as being black, blackened with ego. It's stated by Salman Vior that black roses were always offered to the shadow of the Logos. This reminds us of the darkness of the Absolute, because there's different forms of darkness. There's the darkness of Klipot and the mind, the hell realms. But there's also a primordial darkness, the abstract absolute space, the cosmic space, the Ain Sof, because the void of the absolute is a type of darkness to our senses. If you're meditating and you learn to have a samadhi in that dimension, the zero dimension, the absolute, what you'll see there is a great ocean, but darkness, but light at the same time. is very difficult to explain, but if you have that experience, you can see that ocean of the great light is the true nature of the Bodhisattva, whom we seek to unite with. And we do it through Lucifer. That light of Lucifer comes from the Absolute. That light emanates from the Ain Sof in order to initiate creation. He is the chaos, the seed plot for all life. He also symbolizes the element earth and the death of the ego. And he is the black rose. The rose is a symbol of love. But obviously, the perfect couple must learn to enjoy the sacrament of love, but without spilling the wine in the temple, which is what is done in the witches' Sabbaths. So we must learn to work against the ego without postponement as Sama Anvayor states, with maximum urgency. This is in order to have experiences. Many students and missionaries even I speak to across the world through email or other communications, they often relate to me how they struggle with the darkness of their mind. They lack light. There are many who are in this teaching for a long time but they're not having samadhis, not ex- having experiences. And they question why. Because they may engage in certain practices and think that they're being very diligent about their work. And I always tell them and ask them, what is your meditation like? What egos have you comprehended today? What defects have you been working on? And sometimes these people are very vague and incongruent. They don't have any clear data as well. The, the problem is a lack of self-observation, of vigilance in daily life. In order to see precisely those defects that Lucifer is bringing out. And in that way, I always relate to them to death of the ego. If we want to have light, if we want to carry light up our spine, we have to die. Die to desire. And not be a victim of it. Because if we just give in to temptation... Obviously, people are not going to have light. The fundamental problem is chastity. Many people don't want to be chased. And I've talked to missionaries in Gnosis from other parts of the world who tell me that even though they're teaching Gnosis and doing, trying to follow this teaching, they still fornicate. It's very sad and very serious because there's a greater responsibility for them. They know the mysteries of Lucifer, but they don't work with Lucifer. They're just devils. And are not taking advantage of the difficulties of life. So temptations are very necessary, as I said. 
It's only through contrasts, temptations, that flowers and virtue can be born in us. I'd like to relate to you a quote from Samael Enveor in Teron Kabbalah, where he explains the method of the tempter, his purpose, how he is really here to train us, help us become very strong. Lucifer is Io, teacher, mentor, certainly is exceptional, unusual, and extraordinary. In the Luciferic temptation, there is an unparalleled didactic, a portentous pedagogy, an astonished attraction, an unmistakable incentive, an occult instigation with secret divine propositions, seduction, fascination. So he's always instigating ordeals in our life to make us see ourselves. But there's a divine proposition there. He wants us to become angels. He wants us to conquer. But he has to be very hard to give us precisely those temptations that are the most challenging because we have to see ourselves as we are, not what we think. But we never receive temptations greater than what we can handle. Of course, they're very difficult. They stretch the boundaries but they have a very divine pedagogy involved because a good teacher will not let students be complacent with what they have, but will push them to become very strong and intellectual or studious. Even if they're very good, the teacher will show them, okay, well, I'm going to differentiate my instruction and help you to go further at your level. And that's how Lucifer works. Lucifer Prometheus is one with the Platonic Logos. He is the minister of the creative demiurge and the resplendent lord of Sabbath, the seven mansions of Hades, Inferno, and of the manifested world. Lucifer is he who bears the sword and the scale of cosmic justice, because to him is undoubtedly committed the norm of the weight and measure and number. He is Oros, Brahma, Ahura Mazda, etc., always ineffable. So Lucifer, as the Master explains, in his books, is always entrusted with the keys of the sanctuary, which are only given to those who are anointed with the secret of Hermes, the hermetic science. I relate to an experience I had with my owner, Lucifer, many years ago. I was on the astral plane, and I was allowed to enter the temple of Giza, the temple of the Egyptian masters, I won't relate what they taught me in the temple, but I remember when I left, they told me it was time to leave. I was walking out on the sands in the dark of night with a full moon out. And then suddenly I saw a key bouncing in front of me, going to the distance. And at that moment, I knew I had to get the key. Something symbolic there. I didn't really know the full meaning yet. And then I saw a jester, a man in black with like a medieval clown with big bells hanging over his head. And on his vesture, he had a, a rose pinned. And he, kept, he grabbed the key and was dangling it like this. And a group of black magicians were try, jumping up, trying to grab the key. And I was getting very frustrated and irritated. I was complaining. I said, just give me the key. But this figure kept on laughing in my face, making fun of me, and getting me really riled up. I remember those figures, the black magicians who were trying to grab it, were bald. 
bald-headed. I later reflected on that experience years later. And I realized that was my own inner Lucifer, my tempter. He was showing me that you want to be married, and at the time I was single, you want to be married and work with the keys of alchemy. But you first need to overcome your own ego of sorcery, of witchcraft, because those egos are inside. It's very rare to find someone in this teaching who doesn't have that type of diabolic conditioning from past lives. But there was Lucifer playing with me. But he was a good figure because he had a rose on his chest. He's showing me that you want to be virtuous? Prove it. And I'm going to make you prove it very well. If you conquer, was his message. So this was in Egypt. Experienced many years ago. Something I've reflected on a lot. So... Lucifer was divine before we fell. And we must learn to engage in the passion of Christ to overcome the passion of the devil. Through Arcanum 6, the lovers. Arcanum 6 also reminds us of a very profound teaching given by Gurdjieff in his, tale, in his book, Tales to Beelzebub's Tales to His Grandson, where he talks about how among the self-realized masters, there are different levels of knowledge, levels of being, which Master Gurdjieff explained is called objective reasoning. It's a term that simply means knowledge of divinity, the depth of knowledge one has of God when they resurrect, when they reach the very end of the path and they unite with Christ fully. There are different levels among the angels different levels of knowledge of God. Some angels know divinity more profoundly because they worked much more hard and faced greater temptations and ordeals and even worked on more ego. And so there's levels of being among the gods, hierarchies among the angels, and they have different levels of reasoning of God, perfection. There are six levels, according to Gurdjieff. The first two he never names. The third is called in the language of the gods in an esoteric language, Degindad. The fourth degree is Ternunald. The fifth degree is Potkulad. And the sixth and highest is Anklad. So it's obvious that when entering the path of self-realization, all masters want to acquire the highest degree. But the sad fact is many of them reach a certain level of objective reasoning and once a master reaches that level, they remain stagnant while in this universe. They have to follow a certain procedure, which is very dangerous. If they want to go higher, they have to take a wife or husband or take a partner when it's forbidden to them. The resurrected masters, when they reach self-realization, they are told, you cannot engage in a marriage unless commanded by divinity. And many of those masters are denied the sexual act because the work is done. When one has worked in sexuality, one can overcome it, transcend it, but not before. First comes that which is animal, according to Paul of Tarsus. Then follows that which is spiritual. But so many of these masters, they reach Degindá, Ternonald, and they're not happy with the level of knowledge. They decide that they want to take a partner against the will of God. And therefore, divinity says, I must retract from you because you're not following me. You wish to 
throw the stone, according to Samuel and Vior's language in a lecture called the Archaeus, the Ark of the Covenant, the key of alchemy. And so these masters, they descend. They don't create the ego again, but they lose all development because God withdraws. And therefore, they have to start the path again from the bottom. In order that by perfecting the stone even further, and if they reach the end, they will go to a higher level of knowledge, greater wisdom. But of course, that path is very difficult. There are some angels or masters who commit a great crime in which because they know that light emerges from darkness, they decide to fall. They enter temptation, they fornicate. Many masters have done this. And so that leaves them in hell. They create the ego again, it resurrects in them. And then they suffer for many ages until finally the being says, if it's acknowledged or allowed by that being, they say, they may forgive that bodhisattva who fell. Because they know that when they fall, eventually they'll have to rise higher. But that's a very tricky and dangerous proposition because, yeah, the bodhisattva who reached those heights will have to return eventually. But the question is when and how. Many of them may not rise again in this life if they're in the Gnostic movement again because they have to work very hard, even harder than most people. People who have normal ego, who never created bodhicitta, the unsurpassed mind of enlightenment and compassion for humanity, their ego is much stronger. So they have more to contend with. And so many of those masters, like the heads of the Black Lodge today, they were once angels in the past, but they wanted higher reasoning, so they fell. No justification for that. It's very wicked. But that is a procedure that many of these initiates do because they know that by going down, Further, they will go up if they are forgiven. But many of them are not forgiven. Samal and Vyar fell three times. He made the mistake of falling in love at, when he was resurrected or engaging in this sexual act when it was forbidden to him. And he fell. He fell because of love. And he forgot his divine mother. So it's a very difficult and abstract thing to think about. But you may have experiences in your meditations where they can show you certain things about this process. But the thing is, those who reach self-realization become stagnant at that level and they decide, many of them decide because they want to enter the absolute with more knowledge, they decide to either descend or fall in order to go higher, perfect the stone higher and acquire even higher degrees of objective reasoning because they all want unclad. But that's a very hard thing to achieve because it takes a lot of work. We only know one being who achieved on Kalad, and that's Jesus. He was a fallen bodhisattva too. He did the path seven times. It's forbidden to bodhisattvas to do the work more than seven times because it's too much suffering. If they fall again, they will enter damnation, meaning they'll just be disintegrated in the infernos until they're annihilated to dust and then they can return as a soul back in the mineral kingdom to the plant kingdom to the animal kingdom to the humanoid kingdom but that's a very um, terrible thing there's no justification for falling because many of those masters they can just stay at their level and they will enter the absolute Samal and Vero said that 
one should not covet hierarchy. Many of these masters, they want higher levels of knowledge, but it's better if uh, those initiates stay at their level and then be faithful to God and don't fall because it uh, brings a lot of pain, a lot of ordeals. So in this book by Gurdjieff, he's talking about how these six levels of objective reasoning are represented by the horns of Lucifer. One acquires objective reasoning by conquering the devil, whether it's the first time, the second time, the third time, acquiring higher degrees. And the first trident, like we see in this bottom right of this image, represents gradations of knowledge, objective reasoning. Those horns can have on some masters one trident, referring to the first degree of objective reasoning, or two tridents, referring to the second degree of objective reasoning, the third for Degindad, the fourth for Turunald, the fifth for Podkulad, and the sixth Anklad, having six tridents. So internally, if you want to know the degree of a master, you can ask them, you know, what is their level of objective reasoning, and one will see by the horns of Lucifer. But these horns are not demonic, Remember that Moses, when he carried the Ten Commandments down from Mount Sinai, had horns of light, which is depicted by Michelangelo. Michael Angelo, which his name literally means the angel Michael, the angel of the sun, which we find the sign of Leo in this card. He chiseled the stone to create very beautiful architecture, I better said sculptures, which is a beautiful parallel of this teaching of working with the stone of Yasod perfecting it. Because every time that a master works on the stone, whether they fall, fail or descended, that stone becomes much more profound. Their temple, their knowledge becomes much more higher. But that's a, in the words of Friedrich Nietzsche, not an easy subject for sheep with long ears, which is really all of us. You know, some people struggle to conceive of how is this possible? Why would anyone fall? But if one has that level of knowledge and wants higher, then they basically, uh, many of them commit the mistake. Very common. This is very beautifully paralleled in the Quran by the story of Iblis, the devil. Iblis is allowed to tempt us or tempt humanity precisely so that we can acquire objective reasoning. Whether this is the first time or the second time or the third time, you may find that out if you're working. They can show you things if that was your past. Not common, but there are many fallen bodhisattvas in the Gnostic movement. The word Iblis might have derived from the Arabic verbal root, BLS, which is the broad meaning of remain in grief. Balasa, he despaired. Talbis means confusion, which reminds us of the ancient Greek Diabolos, Diablo. The Quran speaks about how many of these masters, these angels, rebel. This is the crime of the gods because they know that they want to go higher, but like in John Milton's Paradise Lost, the angels rebelled because Christ was allowed to be the Son of God in terms of hierarchy. And many of the angels were furious because in the myth of Milton, or popularized through Milton. These angels wanted uh, to be equal to God in knowledge. So that's a symbol of a 
wanting to acquire higher knowledge and reasoning in God. Because the higher one's knowledge of God, the more happiness there is. It's a very uh, powerful thing to have knowledge of God in a very profound way. Like Krishna said, out of a thousand who seek me, one finds me. Out of a thousand who find me, one follows me. Out of a thousand who follow me, one is mine. Or, out of a thousand of those who are mine, one knows me perfectly. Levels of knowledge. Like a light bulb. Some light bulbs can project more light. Some masters want more light, so they decide to start over. But that's very problematic. Very, very wrong. But one can enter the absolute with any degree of knowledge. But many of them don't want to enter as generals. They want to enter as, or better said, many of them don't want to enter as soldiers. They want to enter as a four-star general. Not ego. It's a type of longing in the soul to know God. But still, even the soul can make mistakes. There's no ego in those masters at that point. When they resurrect, they know, but they know that, and they can still make the mistake by identifying with the mind. There's no ego in the mind, but the soul of mind can still tempt. It's still a vehicle that is inferior, which one has until one enters the ayin, the absolute. So the Quran mentions a beautiful story that is not very well understood, but after this explanation, will become clear. And mentioned when we said to the angels, prostrate to Adam, and they prostrated except for Iblis. He said, should I prostrate to one you created from clay? Iblis said, Do you see this one whom you have honored above me? If you delay me until the day of resurrection, I will surely destroy his descendants except for a few. Allah said, Go, for whoever of them follows you, indeed hell will be the recompense of you, an ample recompense. And incite to senselessness whoever you can among them with your voice and assault them with your horses and foot soldiers and become a partner in their wealth and their children and promise them. But Satan does not promise them except delusion. Indeed, over my believing servants, there is for you no authority, and sufficient is your Lord as disposer of affairs. So even in the Quran, the being allows Lucifer to tempt. But there's a lot of subtlety in this scripture. Why is it that Iblis does not bow to Adam, who's made of clay? You know, the Lord honors Adam as being humble. Those angels that know how to obey. They don't get proud, they don't, they get, they don't have ambition or that longing to know God and then make the mistake of falling. But Iblis made that mistake. He said, I'm made of fire. Why should I bow to him? Because he wants more knowledge. He doesn't want to bow to the obedience of God. So don't think that becoming an angel, one is done. One begins the path of knowing God perfectly at that point. Here we're trying to know God, but once we reach that point, it's a whole other path. So Iblis is a symbol of fallen bodhisattvas. They want more objective reasoning. They throw the stone because they won't bow to Adam. They desire more wisdom born from fire. So how does the devil tempt, as we said? 15, 1 plus 5 is 6. The gods are tempted because of many of them fall in love. They take a wife or a husband, take a wife of their Male and an opposite. But, as I said, the lovers have to work in Malkut to raise the fire up to the 33 vertebrae of the spine. 3 plus 3 is 6. 
each vertebra, one faces indecision, indecision, indecision when they're dealing with lust, willing to conquer both the temptations of sexuality but also desire, the ego. There's a beautiful surah in the Quran which relates this path of temptation because every time we are raising the fire up of a certain vertebra of the spine, we are in a sense denying God. Meaning, the ego denies God as we're rising the fire up higher and higher. And, higher. and so the Quran teaches us very beautifully how there's always struggle on each of the vertebrae of the spine to raise that energy. Where in the surah, the signs of the divinity are related. Cups of ambrosia, gardens and rivers of immaculate sexuality, which is interspersed with the following ayat or verse. Which of these two signs do you two deny? Repeatedly. Happens 31 times. I'll read for you that, uh, the scripture. That surah. Not too long, but... Very compelling. The most merciful taught the Quran, created man and taught him eloquence. The sun and the moon move by precise calculation, and the stars and trees prostrate, and in the heaven he raised and imposed the balance, that you not transgress within the balance, and establish weight and justice, and do not make deficient the balance. So why he keeps talking about the scales, the balance? Remember that Salmael and Verus said, Lucifer is the one who controls the balance of the scales of good and evil. So this is the work of Lucifer. The earth he laid out for the creatures. Therein is fruit and palm trees having sheets of dates and grain having husks and scented plants. So which of the favors of your Lord would you deny? Sometimes it translates as, so which of these favors do you two deny? Which many commentators interpret as meaning human beings or initiates. And the jinn, the genii, the nirvani buddhas. But an even more profound level which of these signs do you two deny? Meaning the couple, husband and wife, as they're trying to raise the fire and remembering the signs of God in their meditations, as they're dealing with lust. He created man from clay like that of pottery, and he created the jinn from a smokeless flame of fire. So which of the favors of your Lord would you deny? He is the Lord of the two sunrises and the Lord of the two sunsets. So which of the favors of your Lord would you deny? He released the two seas, meeting side by side. Between them is a barrier, so neither of them transgress. So which of the favors of your Lord would you deny? The two seas are the cerebrospinal fluid and the sexual fluid, which are divided by the heart. Those are the two seas we must join through alchemy. From both of them emerge pearl and coral, the virtues of the soul. So which of the favors of your Lord would you deny? And to him belong the ships with sails elevated in the sea like mountains. So which of the favors of your Lord would you deny? A ship is the symbol of alchemy. In the eternal plains, they show you a boat working in alchemy, working with the waters. The great ark of Noah, the arcanum, sexual magic. And they elevate in the sea like mountains. A mountain is a symbol of initiation, working with the spine. Everyone upon the earth will perish, and there will remain the face of your Lord 
owner of majesty and honor. So which of the favors of your Lord would you deny? Whoever is within the heavens and the earth asks him every day he is bringing about a matter. So which of the favors of your Lord would you deny? We will attend to you, O prominent beings. So which of the favors of your Lord would you deny? O company of jinn and mankind, if you are able to pass beyond the regions of the heavens and the earth, then pass. You will not pass except by authority from Allah. So which of the favors of your Lord would you deny? So many gods, they want to enter the absolute, which is beyond heaven, but they need permission first. They have to serve as an angel with one of the six degrees of objective reasoning before having the right to enter the absolute with anklad. There will be sent upon you a flame of fire and smoke, and you will not defend yourselves. So which of the favors of your Lord would you deny? And when the heaven is split open and becomes rose-colored like oil, so which of the favors of your Lord would you deny? Then none on that day, then on that day none will be asked about his sin among men or jinn. So which of the favors of your Lord would you deny? The criminals will be known by their marks, and they will be seized by the forelocks and the feet. So which of the favors of your Lord would you deny? This is hell, which the criminals deny. They will go around between it and scalding water, heated to the utmost degree. So which of the favors of your Lord would you deny? But for he who has feared the position of his Lord are two gardens. So which of the favors of your Lord would you deny? Having spreading branches. So which of the favors of your Lord would you deny? And both of them are two springs flowing. So which of the favors of your Lord would you deny? And both of them are of every fruit, two kinds. And kind in Hebrew is mina, sex. The fruits of the tree of knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life, which blossoms in the perfect matrimony. They are reclining on beds whose linings are of silk brocade and the fruit of the two gardens is hanging low. So which of the favors of your Lord would you deny? In them are women limiting their glances, untouched before them by man or jinn. So which of the favors of your Lord would you deny? As if they were rubies and coral. So which of the favors of your Lord would you deny? Is the reward for good anything but good? So which of the favors of your Lord would you deny? And below them both in excellence in our two other gardens. So which of the favors of your Lord would you deny? Dark green in color. So which of the favors of your Lord would you deny? And both of them are two springs spouting. So which of the favors of your Lord would you deny? And both of them are fruit and palm trees and pomegranates. So which of the favors of your Lord would you deny? And them are good and beautiful women. So which of the favors of your Lord would you deny? So that's a symbol of the Nirvani Buddhas who are pure and chaste in heaven, the Nirvanic world. Fair ones reserved in pavilions, referring to the divine soul, Gibura. So which of the favors of your Lord would you deny? Untouched before them by man or jinn. So which of the favors of your Lord would you deny? Reclining on green cushions and beautiful fine carpets. So which of the favors of your Lord would you deny? Blessed is the name of your Lord, owner of majesty and honor. So that verse that repeats repeatedly occurs 31 times. In the book Ignis Rose by Samuel and Vior, he relates how when the fire enters the 31st canyon, reaching the cerebellum in the mental body, the fourth initiation of fire, one receives the Arhat's cross. An Arhat is a master of the fourth initiation of major mysteries. 
In order to reach that point, one has to face that denial of the ego each step of the way up the vertebrae until reaching the 31st degree, which is the cerebellum, which Samarlan Vyar explains very beautifully in his book Igneous Rose, of which I'll relate. The fire of your igneous rose, which is situated in the larynx of your mental body, burns and sparkles within the ardent flames of the universe. Now, O Arhat, you enter the three higher chambers of the tower of your temple. The kundalini of your mental body opens the first chamber of your cerebellum. Do you know what this signifies, my child? Woe to you, O Arhat. Receive your fourth cross so that you may crucify your mental body. Do you know what this signifies, sibling of mine? Do you know what the mind signifies? You are not worthy of pity, O Arhat. You must work in the great work of the Father. You will be an immolated lamb upon the altar of sacrifice. You will work incessantly for humanity. You will perform works of genius, but do not expect a crown of laurels, my child. Remember that you must sacrifice your mind. Humanity will make a mockery of your work. They will ridicule you and give you bile to drink. Your works of merit will be received with loud guffaws, and humanity will reward all of your sacrifices with their deepest despise. You are worthy of compassion or arhat. The cross of your mental body is large and very heavy. Your enemies will be your very spiritual brothers and sisters. They will punish you severely and they will mock you, O Arhat. The spiritual devotees of all denominations will qualify you as an evil one and they will ridicule you, O Arhat. You will be slandered, mocked, and hated by all the world. This is how you will crucify your mind, O Arhat. Apollonius of Tiana spent his last years enclosed within a prison. Paracelsus was qualified as a friend of gypsies and executioners by all of his Judases. All the pedants of that time hated to death the eminent Theophrastus Bombastus of Hohenheim, Oriola Paracelsus. This great wise man, Paracelsus, gave humanity medical wisdom that will be accepted and comprehended only by the human species of the Aquarian age. Agrippa, hated by men, wandered from city to city, and all the world distrusted him and qualified him as a sorcerer. All the saints of Jerusalem, all the martyrs of humanity, were hated and persecuted. O Arhat, the cross of your mental body is heavy. You are now an enigmatic personage, my child, and all the spiritual brothers qualify you as an evil one, as being intolerant, as tenebrous, simply because they do not comprehend you. You know this. Blessed be those who love us, because they comprehend us. Blessed be those who hate us because they do not comprehend us. So when you work with Arcanum 15, you face many ordeals as you're bearing your cross. You have to deal with the passion of the mind, but also you follow the passion of Christ where you are crucified, ridiculed, laughed at, mocked. Well, that is the way to pay what we owe takes great courage, but it can be done. This is how we whitewash the brass and burn our books. That's a quote from the end of Christopher Marlowe's Dr. Faustus, or the tragical history of Dr. Faustus, which Faust in that narrative fails the ordeals against Lucifer and is taken down to hell. He complains at the end, I will, Mephistopheles, I will burn my books meaning I will get rid of all my erudition, meaning my bookwormishness. 
Nothing wrong with having strong intellectual culture. The problem is that we don't balance that with work on the mind. So we must learn to conquer the dragon, Lucifer. And a dragon is a creature that has power over the air, the fire, the water, and the earth. A dragon flies, conquers the ground, breathes fire, and flies. So those four elements represent intellectual brain, emotional brain, motor, instinctive, sexual brain, as well as the body, the earth. So this is an image of a very controversial statue, I believe, in Detroit, in a satanic temple. Exactly. The only problem with this is that his hand is the inverted pentagram, which is, uh, can be read in many ways. The upright pentagram is positive. So these people who worship in their satanic temple don't really know the meaning that what Lucifer is. Because Lucifer is Christ. The upright pentagram, it means that the soul can be elevated, can go up. But in his right hand, he has the inverted pentagram, the two fingers pointing up, which is the sign of peace amongst hippies which is the inverted symbol, the fallen pentagram. Notice that the three fingers, the thumb and the other two fingers that are facing down, represent the head and the arms. His other two fingers are the, are the legs, meaning that through Lucifer, one can fall or rise high. It depends on whether we work with the caduceus of Mercury, which we see represented, kind of cut off in this image, but at the bottom. And there's two children looking up at him. Obviously, this statue brought a lot of Debates about art and religion. We can say that the essence must be purified or must purify Lucifer. The soul must work. So we must learn to work in the perfect matrimony to conquer the devil. Once one has achieved self realization, one renounces sexuality. But not before. So those people who practice lunar brahmacharya, meaning they practice abstinence without having solar bodies, is very ludicrous because they need to work with that energy. And once the two serpents, Vav and Zayin, with the Caduceus and Mercury, are raised upright, then one can renounce sex, but not before. Samal and Vera mentions that the constellation of Orion relates to the 15th Arcanum. This is very beautiful. Because in Hebrew, Orion can sound like O-Aor, On. Aor is light. On, Aon is strength, virility, sexuality. He also relates that the constellation of Orion relates to the absolute abstract space, the Ein Sof, our superatomic star. The antithesis of that star is Klipot, the hell realms. So on the path of working with the 15th Arcanum, we have to fight very difficult battles against the Black Lodge because anyone who's working on the ego is tested. Meaning, the White Lodge uses the Black Lodge to test us because, if you know from a game of chess, white piece moves first. The light initiates. But we have to see this in action. Sometimes 
If you're very awake, you can see certain ordeals in action in your daily life and realize, I'm being tested here. If we're very clairvoyant and being very awake. So it's a good reminder that we need to work very hard against the ego because if we want to conquer the Black Lodge, we have to annihilate the ego. And we are tested many times until we conquer. The ordeals repeat and repeat and repeat if we keep failing them. But the point is not to keep failing, but to keep trying. It's very difficult, but... If you're sincere and are meditating on those faults, then we can conquer those temptations. So we learn to fight against the ego by working against the Kunda buffer organ, the inverted tail of Satan. Kali, the black goddess of the inferno. These are the crystallizations of the luciferic fire in the spine. So Salman Vera mentions that the death of the ego begins by working with chastity. You steal the water, the fish will die. That's how we begin initiation. And remember that the demon is God inverted. So this image, which frightens many people and alarms the sanctimonious, is a symbol or representation of Lucifer, but not the devil, not the ego. So sometimes we say that Lucifer is the devil, but it's better if we say that Lucifer is the light of Christ. The devil is the ego, our mind. So we included this image because there was an ancient ritual amongst the Gnostic Rosicrucians where blindfolded neophytes were taken to the interior of a temple. They were submitted to certain ordeals and brought to a specific place in which they found a male goat in the middle of the room which had the upright pentalpha on their head. The initiates would tell the neophyte, kiss the behind of this goat. And if the neophyte was too proud they would escort him out as a failure. But if he agreed, he would be greeted by a beautiful woman, a vestal of the temple of Isis, in order to initiate him into the mysteries of the perfect matrimony. It's a symbol of how you have to face the degeneration of the mind and be willing to kiss the whip, even of the, your executioner, of those who persecute us most, so that we crucify our mind, according to Salma Island Vior and Igneous Rose. So this is how we steal fire from the devil, we have to comprehend each ego, annihilate them, so that we can emerge from the abyss by means of fire and enter the absolute, free in its movement. I'll relate another experience, how the Ain Sof is Christus Lucifer. I remember a long time ago, too, I was meditating at home. And that... I found myself in the astral plane moving in a hallway, being led to a door, and it became dark. I was told by an attendant at this place, you need to dress up in this costume. So I did. And the next moment, they opened the door, and I found myself in a huge cave filled with demons. I saw Lucifer sitting on his throne in the center, and I immediately knew that I had to disguise myself. I had to be very careful because I knew that there was a spotlight coming from the ceiling that was focusing on these demons who were singing this song and contributing and participating in being this big orgy of demons. And I knew that I had to be very careful. I knew that the light would shine on me and I had to act in that moment to pretend that I was a demon. The light shined on me in that moment and I continued with the song. The demons praised me. Then the light moved on and they got distracted. So I decided I wanted to get out of there. I climbed up 
a circular stair along the side of the cave, leading higher and higher and higher towards a pinnacle, to a point at the very top. And I knew that I could only get out if I pushed my head through. So I was pushing my head through, not realizing at the time that I was projecting myself through my chakra sahasrara. And at that moment, I remember leaving the cave and I popped through and I was united with my Ain Sof, my own star, in which I was not myself. There was only the being, Allah, Christ. There's a light of divinity, like a point in, in space, a beautiful star of light that is eternal, that has always existed, always exists and always will exist, our true identity. And then I remember at that moment, I fell back into the astral plane and I saw a well in which someone was drown, about to drown and my Ain Sof taught me, you must save this person within seven to eight minutes. It's interesting. Salman Vera mentions that the Ain Sof is the antithesis of the Klipot. And Lucifer has the sign of the star on his forehead, the head. So I projected myself through the church of Laodicea and I entered a samadhi, maha samadhi, nirvakalpa samadhi, whatever you want to call it. And I was immersed in that light, my own God. But then I identified with my mind, I fell out. And my insof was warning me, you need to work with your inner urgency and fundamental keynote. Because if you, in the book Tarot and Kabbalah, you can follow a procedure of counting how many letters you have in your name and making certain additions relating to your birthday to get to a synthesis or a number relating to one of the 22 arcana of the tarot. And in that way, you know exactly what qualities of the tarot predominate in your life. Mine is seven for one of them, battles. And the other one is for inner urgency is, uh, I'm sorry, the fundamental keynote is eight, justice, to be patient. Seven plus eight is 15. So my insof was teaching me, you want, to, you want to return to me? You have to overcome your devil. Light above in Christ, heaven, demon below. So I need to go back into my own cave and work against all these faults that I have as a symbol of my own mind. A very powerful experience, which is depicted in an opera by Gunod, Faust. I'll play for you a brief clip, which depicts precisely this dance of devils that I experienced and what it was like, the type of energy involved. So in this opera, the devil goes out to a public place to sing and lead a certain chorus, which you, uh, those who are listening online can pause this audio and play the clip accompanying with the PDF. So that is what I experienced. A bunch of devils singing and praising hell. And... The devil, or Lucifer in this sense, is that force of temptation which can make even gods fall. The golden calf still stands. The golden calf has vanquished the gods. Symbol of uh, certain masters of the Black Lodge who have led many bodhisattvas down because they want to disintegrate it in hell in order to reinitiate a new journey back up. But it's a very stupid path at a terrible price. It's really better to renounce hell and heaven and to be happy with one's union with God. So the way that we work against the devil is by following the fourth way. 
According to Ospensky, the fourth way is the path of the astute man, the sly man, the clever one. It means to work with the devil, the ego. Astuteness or cleverness is developed when we work in alchemy against the mind and learn how to deal with people in this physical plane and in hell with intelligence because we have to learn how to negotiate ourselves with humanity as demonic as it is. You have to learn to be with devils but not be a devil. And that was precisely the symbol of that experience I had. I had to be dressed as a devil but not be one. Which is why Ospensky mentioned that the path of the astute man is very misunderstood by people and spiritual circles. One is surrounded by demons when one is not one. And many clairvoyants have slandered these initiates or astute men because of the misjudgment. They may see the ego of that person and say that person is a black magician. Which is why in the Gnostic movement there's so much chaos in groups where they're accusing people of being witches and sorcerers, excommunicating people from groups. This type of thing is very silly to point our finger at someone and call them a demon. It's really a joke made in bad taste. And personally, I've had that happen many times myself. Certain pseudo-clairvoyants seeing my ego. And I agree with them. Yeah, I'm a big devil. But I'm repentant. The big difference. One can continue to be a demon or one can seek to change. So I leave those people to their own fate and I continue to give lectures online just to do what I need to do regardless of what they think. But in the path of the astute man, one has to work with the dissolution of the ego. It means to work with the five centers of the human machine. It means to understand our personality in action because we must work with the intellectual the emotional, and the motor instinct of sexual centers. The ego can never manifest in the superior intellect or the superior heart because those are qualities of the soul that don't mix with desire. So to have a solar intellectual center means to have a solar mind, a solar mental body, to be able to understand intuitive concepts, apprehend the meaning of scripture, and many divine qualities relating to intelligence. And the superior emotional center is emerged in us when we really have a solar astral body. We can travel in the fifth dimension consciously. But comprehension is what leads us to dissolution. We have to comprehend the ego in each of the centers, the inferior five cylinders of the human machine. And Salman Vera mentions that if we wish to work with the devil, we have to work with our five centers, comprehend all of our habits, all of our desires, our ways of thinking, our ways of feeling, our ways of moving, our ways of acting, of behaving. Our habits, mannerisms, ways of speaking, talking, moving, everything. We have to comprehend it deeply. He also mentions that thought needs to be balanced. Because typically, if one is overthinking, one can damage the motor center. Such as when one's driving a car and is thinking too much, gets distracted. Movement is a much faster center, like the emotions, much quicker. Someone can say something negative and we react immediately, feeling very moved and hurt. With instinct or self-preservation, we have the sexual drive, the instinctual center, which is the house of many subhuman elements, demonic qualities relating to morbidity, sadomasochism, etc., fear, criminality. 
And likewise, we have to learn to conquer the sexual center, which is the ultimate ordeal. No one can obtain integrity or moral character, liberation without sexual energy. Sex is the power of the soul. There's the power of eros that awakens psyche. In this way, the sexual force develops in seven levels. So that by working in the perfect matrimony, one has affinity in physically, in terms of the force of attraction, in terms of the astral plane relating to the affinity of types according to polarity, essence, emotion. Mentality relating to mind and causality relating to willpower, having the same will. So the causal plane is where the complete union of the soul is performed, the perfect matrimony. The union of two beings who know how to love based off of superior thought, superior feeling, superior will. So by learning to die in the ego, we develop integrity. We dissolve the I, and then we can ascend the tree of life. But first we have to descend into our own conditioned elements, the inferno, so that we can liberate the soul. This is how the rose is elaborated by the perfume of the earth, or the perfume of the rose is elaborated by the mud of the earth. We develop the virtues of the consciousness based off of the death of desire, the death of the mind. In order to talk about this subject even further, I'll relate to you a psalm from the Hebrew Old Testament. The verses 113 to 120 in Psalm 119 all start with the Hebrew letter Samek, which is the teachings of the serpent, Samael. I hate the lukewarm, but I love your law. You are my covert and my shield. I hope in your word. Depart from me, O evildoers, for I will keep my God's commands. Uphold me by your word that I may live, and let me be not ashamed of my hope. Hold me up and I will be saved, and I will always look to your statutes. You have trampled all who go astray from your statutes, for their deceit is falsehood. As dross you have made all the wicked of the earth to cease, so I love your testimonies. My flesh has shivered because of your ardor, and I have feared your judgments. So I hate the lukewarm, those who are neither hot nor cold, like we discussed in our Condom 14, temperance, to neither be cold with chastity or aflame with a matrimony. We have to learn to cover ourselves and shield ourselves and to depart from the evil ones in the abyss to keep our being's commands and uphold my, me by your word that I may live. Hold me up and I will be saved. Because the laws of divinity are eternal. The statutes are eternal. The great arcana are sacred. So Samek is the Ouroboros, the serpent biting its own tail, the dragon devouring itself. On the far right we see the image of the Hebrew letter. The Ouroboros reminds us of Aura, light, and Boros, devouring. So, aura can also mean tail, but at a deeper level in Hebrew, aur is light, and or is gold in Spanish. Oros, or Horus, the Egyptian god of the spirit. Boros in Hungarian literally means drunk person. It's interesting. A derivative from the word bor, which means wine. 
to be drunk on the wine of God, the perfect matrimony. Bor also reminds us of Bar, the son, father. And so if we want to enter the absolute, we must devour our own kunda buffer tail, destroy it. That is how we develop aur, light. It's interesting also that the word ein sof has the Hebrew letter samek. And the word sof, ein means, is a negation, means no limit. Or it means no. Sof means limit, to end. So in the absolute, there's no limit. That star, when you unite with your inner ein sof, is limitless, light, perfection. And that way, we realize that the power of Lucifer emanates from that light, is samek, the serpent. The power of Lucifer in heaven is ein sof. But notice that the word yesod, which is the ninth sephirah from the top to the bottom of the tree of life, the foundation of our temple, has the word samek in it. Yesod means foundation. Because the serpent emerges from the absolute, descends down the tree of life as the ray of creation, enters our sexual glands, our energies. And then samek basically is the serpent trapped in the stone. I believe there's a pre-Islamic myth about the Kaaba that the Arabs used to state that a serpent would sleep encoiled inside of the Kaaba, the stone. That's Samek, the serpent that must be liberated. The Hebrew word Sodi also means secret, the secret of alchemy. So Lucifer is Christus Lucifer, Samek. It is the beginning and the ending, the Ein Sof, the limitless beginning of all creation. And also Yosof, Yesod, which the Kabbalist state Yesod relates to Yusuf, Joseph. It's interesting that the book of Genesis begins with the creation of the human being. And the end of Genesis is with Yosef, Joseph. The end of Io, because the power of the Divine Mother Io, Ram Io, riches from the Absolute, descends on the tree of life and ends in Yesod, because that's how we work with that power. So the book of Revelations teaches this very beautifully, how Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the ending, Samek. And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give every man according to his sexual work what his sexual work shall be. I am, we could say within Samek, the Alpha and Omega, which we find in the name Abramento. The real name of Jesus is Abramento. Aleph, or better said, Alpha Omega, A and O, beginning and ending. The beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life, their spinal medulla, and may enter the kingdom of heaven through the gates, we could say of Yesod, sex, into the city of Heliopolis, the celestial Jerusalem, the city of the sun. For without, in Malkut and Klipot, are the dogs and sorcerers and whoremongers and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves fornication and adultery and makes a lie with his subjective reasoning. So I talked a lot about objective reasoning, the reasoning of gods. All of us have subjective reasoning, the ways of thinking of the ego, which we can see more clearly as we meditate, comprehend more, and eliminate. I, Jesus, we could say the Savior of the Ein Sof Or, the limitless light, Christus Lucifer, have sent my angels to testify unto you these things in the churches, 
or chakras of your spinal medulla. I, in Yesod, am the root and offspring of David, the Malachim. And David is the six-pointed star, which generates the six degrees of objective reasoning, the bright and dawning star, Lucifer. So Lucifer is that light which emerges from the absolute, descends on the ray of creation, on the tree of life, enters Yesod and Malkut. It also descends further through the left pillar into the klipot, which is not represented in this image, but you can visualize that too. So Lucifer disintegrates those souls who fall in the abyss. But Lucifer is also the light that can liberate us from the inferno. And in that way, we escape klipot. Lucifer is the sexual impulse that maintains the forces of evolution and devolution in the wheel of samsara, which you find even in Samek, it's the circle, evolution, devolution. Parallels that. It's interesting that Lucifer was not evil before he fell. So it shows us that this force is divine. It just gets mixed due to our faults. How are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the dawning? How are you cut down to the ground, which did weaken the nations? For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of the God. I will also sit upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yet you shall be brought down to hell, the ninth sphere, to the sides of the pit. The book of Isaiah, verses 12 to 15. So this power was once heavenly, was a part of a great archangel, but entered temptation and desire. It says, I will ascend unto heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God, meaning I will obtain a higher degree of objective reasoning according to the scripture. And I will ascend to the sides of the north, the right pillar of the tree of life, as we talked about extensively in the operas on Turandot, or the lectures on Turandot. So Samek is the serpent. That serpent is what supports the initiates. Literally, Samek means support, to hold, to raise. And you find a beautiful teaching in the Zohar how when divinity initiated creation, he spoke to the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet to see which archetype would begin the book of Bereshit. Obviously, it landed on Bet, but all the letters offered their assistance symbolically. And the letter Nun approaches first. The letter Nun entered. She said to him, Master of the world, May it please you to create the world by me, for by me you are called Nora, awesome in praises, from Exodus chapter 15 to 11, verse 11. By me the praise of the righteous is called Nava, comely, Psalms verse 33, uh, chapter 33, verse 1. He, Jehovah, replied, Noon, return to your place, for because of you, Samek retired to her place. Depend on her. She, immediately, she returned immediately, leaving his presence. Samek is in the name Samael, on Veor. The word Sam means potion, bitterness, medicine, perfume, poison. It's the poison of God, the poison of El. And people read this scripture in the, in the Zohar as if Samael is demonic, as I'm going to explain from an excerpt. And many people in this day and age are very afraid of the master Samael and Vior saying that he's a demon because the scriptures say he was a demon. Symbolically speaking, Samael in us is Lucifer, the devil. 
Samael and Vera outside of us is a great resurrected master. He fell before, but he's risen again. You can confirm that by meeting him in the astral plane. But Samek in us is a polarized in Klipot, in hell. And so this is why the scriptures depict Samael as being both an angel and a demon. Because Lucifer and Samael, the power of strength of sex, the power of Mars and heaven is divine. But in us is fallen. But that serpent is what can raise us from Klipot to the heavenly dimensions. Raise the Nephilim, those who abuse noon, the sperm or ovum, who abuse the waters of life. So there's a beautiful teaching in the Zohar, which I'll relate, which summarizes some of these points we've been making. And the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Why is it called so? It is not in the middle. Or better said, Rabbi Abba said, it is written, the tree of life in the middle of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil from Genesis chapter 2 verse 9. The tree of life, we have learned that it extends over a journey of 500 years and all the waters of creation branch off below. So why 500? Relating to the fifth initiation of major mysteries. 500 in esoteric age relates to Tifereth. So the tree of life is in the middle of the garden. The garden is our sexual organs, our body. And this tree of life is our spine. The tree of life is precisely in the middle of the garden, conveying all waters of creation branching below. For that flowing, gushing river spreads into the garden whence waters branch in many directions. So what are those waters in our body, our garden? These are cerebral spinal fluid, our nervous systems, the lymph nodes, all of our nervous qualities in our body, which channel forces of the heavenly type. Receiving them all is the ocean, from which they emerge in numerous streams below, as is said, watering all beasts of the field. The book of Psalms, chapter 104, verse 11. So what is this water that emerges from the ocean? The ocean, the abstract, absolute space, the dark light, Christus Lucifer, which when in our body permeates our nervous systems and is the forces that can convey all creation, the solar bodies in the perfect matrimony. Just as they emerge from that world above, watering those towering mountains of pure balsam, subsequently upon reaching the tree of life, they branch below by paths in every direction. So all those waters become dissipated in klipot, branching off in different places, symbolically speaking, through lust. And the tree of knowledge of good and evil, why is it called so? It is not in the middle. But what does knowledge of good and evil mean? So why is it not in the middle? The tree of knowledge, we say it is in dat, the throat. But good and evil, and the right and left pillars of the tree of life, are Vav and Zayin. The pillar of mercy on the right, the pillar of severity on the left. Because how we use those two pillars is how we determine in a matrimony, male, female, man, woman, how one works with the forces of good and evil, Vav and Zayin. But what does knowledge of good and evil mean? Since it suckles on two sides and knows them as one, suckling sweet and bitter, since it suckles on two sides, knowing them and dwelling among them, it is called so. So what is the side of sweetness is mercy. What is the side of bitterness is severity. Vav Zayin, the two serpents, in which Samek rises in the middle, up the spine. All those plants dwell above it. 
while within it dwell other plants, supernal plants called cedars of Lebanon. Who are those cedars of Lebanon? The six days of creation of which we have spoken. The cedars of Lebanon that he planted from Psalms 104, verse 16. Certainly saplings later firmly implanted. Salman Vera mentions an igneous rose that the cedar is a very sacred plant, a sacred tree. Li, ba, non, i, a, o. The forces of Christ representing as the tree of life and the tree of knowledge. From here on, Samek, what is it? Vayeskor, he closed up the flesh of that place, referring to how Eve was created from Adam from the left side, referring to how the feminine power of Zayin emerges from the left pillar of the tree of life. Indeed, the Blessed Holy One uprooted them, transplanting them elsewhere. These two plants, male, female, man and woman, because each person is a tree of life in themselves. Where they turned face to face for endurance. So what does it mean that Jehovah transplants the souls of these of Adam and Eve? Meaning the seed generates through sexual cooperation to create new trees of life, new people, new bodies. But in this case, the Holy One uproots these plants, transplants them elsewhere. We could say upon the mountain of initiation where they are turned face to face for endurance. So what does it mean that two trees face each other? It means husband and wife are working in the perfect matrimony. They're face to face, transmuting for endurance, to endure with the Spirit. Similarly, the worlds were adjoined. The Blessed Holy One uprooted them, transplanting them elsewhere, and they endured. Where they endured. Rabbi Abba said, How do we know that Adam and Eve were saplings? For it is written, Sprout of my planting, work of my hands, that I may be glorified. From the book of Isaiah, chapter 60, verse 21. Work of my hands, precisely, for no other creature engaged in them. Because the work of alchemy can only be done by intellectual animals. Not animals. We need the intellect. Similarly, it is written, On the day of your planting, you become debased. For the very day they were planted in the world, they united and decayed. We have learned they resembled antenna of grasshoppers, for their light was tenuous and they did not shine. Once planted firmly, their light increased and they were called cedars of Lebanon. So we have to work with our spine, our tree of life, with the mantras E-A-O in the perfect matrimony. That is, we will become trees firmly planted in good soil. The seed that sprouts vegetation becomes a tree of life. It doesn't get devoured by the birds or the thorns of the of the field, according to the Christian parable of the sower of the seed. Adam and Eve, as well, did not grow until planted, gave forth their fragrance, no fragrance, excuse me. Indeed, they were uprooted, transplanted, fittingly arrayed. Because a man and wife shall leave their, husband, leave their father and mother and shall cleave unto another and shall become one flesh, one tree of life, one tree of knowledge. But also the, the scripture talks about how Samek is Samael, so the way that we work with the serpent is with the tree of knowledge of good and evil, working with the tree of the spine. Now the serpent was slyer than any creature of the field. We explained in our previous lectures that now the nachash was the slyer than any behemot of shadeh. The serpent of fire was slyer than any creature, any beast of the field. Shadeh means field, which is where you get the name Shaddai el Chai, the almighty living God the strength of sex. 
Rabbi Yose said, The tree of which we have spoken was watered, flourished, and rejoiced. As is said, a river issues from Eden to water the garden. From Genesis chapter 2, verse 10. The garden, this is woman, the river entering her, watering her. And all was one, while from there below is division, as is written, from there it divides. So when husband and wife are transmuting their waters, the water doesn't divide, doesn't, doesn't uh, split, isn't spilled. But now the serpent, Rabbi Yitzhak said, this is the evil impulse. Rabbi Yehuda said, an actual serpent. They came before Rabbi Shimon, and who said to them, Indeed, all is one. It was Samael appearing on a serpent, and the form of the serpent is Satan. All is one. Meaning Samael is the angel related to the serpent Kundalini, who is raising many initiates in this physical world. So if one is working in a perfect matrimony, one can invoke Samael and Vior to work with that fire to help transmute. Because he is the serpent of... Uh, temptation, but also the brazen serpent. But Samael and Vior, as the master, is pure, as we said. But in us, that serpent is fallen. We have learned at that moment, Samael descended from heaven, riding on this serpent. And when all creatures saw his form, they fled from him. They got to the woman with words, inflicting death upon the world. Indeed, through wisdom, Samael brought curses on the world, destroying the primordial tree created in the world by the Blessed Holy One. So this verse has been used to denigrate the master Samael and Vior, but people don't understand that in the scripture, Samael is Lucifer, the serpent Samek, which we need to overcome. This matter loomed over Samael until another holy tree arrived, namely Jacob, who represents Tifereth, the human soul, who wrested blessings from him, who wrestled with Samael, the sexual strength, so that he would not be blessed above, nor Esau below meaning his own animal mind. He conquered himself in the perfect matrimony. For Jacob was patterned on Adam. The beauty of Jacob was the beauty of Adam. Just as Samael withheld blessings from the primordial tree, so Jacob, a tree patterned on Adam, withheld blessings from Samael above and below. Jacob took what was his entirely, so a man wrestled with him. So we have to wrestle with the serpent in order to become victorious. We'll conclude from a beautiful teaching by Friedrich Nietzsche in his book, Thus Spoke Zarathustra. He talks a lot about, in the end of this chapter, about the 15th Arcanum, what this path involves. But the worst enemy you can encounter will also be you, yourself. You lie in wait for yourself in caves and woods or our psychological country. The landscape of the ego is cited by Samael and Vior in the Great Rebellion and illustrated by Hieronymus Bosch in his painting, The Temptation of St. Anthony. Lonely one, you are going the way to yourself, and your way leads past yourself and your seven devils, which are the seven principal defects, lust, pride, anger, gluttony, laziness, greed, envy. You will be a heretic to yourself, and a witch, and a soothsayer, and fool, and doubter, and a holy one, and a villain. Because when in the field of psychological self-observation, we discover all these defects in ourselves that must be annihilated. You must wish to consume yourself in your own flame, your own Glorian, your intimate Christ, the Superman. How could you wish to become new unless you first become ashes through mystical death, decapitation of the animal ego? Lonely one, you're going the way of the creator, the twice-born, those who build solar bodies in the perfect matrimony. You would create a god for yourself out of your seven devils. 
Because through Arcanum 15, we clean the devil. We extract the light from the ego. We free Lucifer. We liberate Prometheus. This is the passion of Christ. Lonely one, you are going the way of the lover. Arcanum 6, indecision. Yourself you have love, and therefore you despise yourself, as only lovers despise. The lover would create because he despises. What does he know of love who did not have to despise precisely what he loved? So in between the lines, he's being very tricky here. Yourself, ain sof, you love through scientific chastity, and therefore you despise yourself, your fornicating animal ego, as only lovers initiates in sexual transmutation, despise. The lover initiate would create solar bodies because he despises his ego. What does he know of conscious love who did not have to despise precisely what he loved when he was a fornicator? Go into your loneliness, meditation, with your love, your spirit, Gidullah, your innermost, and with your creation, your solar bodies. And only much later will justice limp after you, or Kanam 8, this balancing the scales and the expiation of karma through patience. With my tears go into your loneliness, my brother. I love him who wants to create over and beyond himself, create the solar bodies through the perfect matrimony, and thus perishes to the ego. Any questions? Yeah, the latter. Not all monads want mastery. Not all beings, the spirit, the innermost of a person, the kater of a person, wants that type of development. It's very hard to understand, but you've got to understand that um, God is not a tyrant. He respects free will. He doesn't want to force his will on other people. Some beings want to acquire more knowledge, but some don't. Personally, I know what my being wants, has shown me many times. And anybody who's been consistent with Gnosis has been in these teachings for a long time. It's because the being is pushing for self-realization. So that's a good sign. You know? But as you can see from the size of our classes, not many people have that drive. Or if they do, they face the temptations of their inner Lucifer and then they run away. They can't face themselves. Not all beings want perfection and mastery. Some are content with just being an elemental Buddha of nature, governing the mineral, the plant, the animal kingdom, the humanoid kingdom, until devolving again to the 3,000 turns of the wheel of samsara. So people are getting swallowed by Samek again and again and again and again. The serpent, the Ouroboros, the wheel of recurrence. But if you want to escape suffering, and any of us who have been in this teaching and really are practicing, we're working to liberate Samek, Samayan Lucifer in our Cossacks to do the work. So anyone who feels that inquietude is because the being is pushing them very hard. Otherwise, there'd be no drive, no impetus, no will. But not, again, not all monads want mastery. This is the nature of the being. and they, Their God is their God, so what, they can, what can they do? They just let the souls recycle through nature. It's very actually rare for a monad not to eventually get mastery because... They have so many cosmic scenarios and opportunities in the universe, in different planets and places, in order to do the work. I mean, some eventually do. I mean, there's always a first time. But then there are those masters who 
are not happy with their degree and they decide to fall or descend, go back to school, so to say, do it all over again, but obviously at a higher octave and a much, with much more suffering, much more difficulty. But if they succeed in the end, they'll rise very high. Personally, I don't know what level my God wants, but all I know is that in this life, there's so much suffering involved that there's no way that if I reached the end, I would fall too low. Things are too painful here. So we don't have to speculate. Your God can show you these things. Personally, this is what he's shown me in my, my experiences, my meditations. And the card, why is, why is the serpent yellow? Because the uh, serpent of gold, aur, or oros, oros, gold in Spanish, I think. But auros, the serpent of the Egyptian king, the gods. So that serpent is the golden serpent or the golden path that leads from Kansas to the city of Oz in the Emerald City of uh, that myth of the Wizard of Oz. So Oz is Vav Zayin because you can pronounce Vav as an O. Oz, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So you raise the serpent Samek, the golden serpent up the Yellowbrook Road and get to the very end when it reaches the magician. So we need to follow the Yellowbrook Road and not uh, swerve. Right. To me, that, that solo life Right. Yeah, the, um, the magician card is about that force entering the universe, descending from the top of the tree of life, Keter, down into Malkut. But the devil is here in Malkut and Klipot. So 15 is relating to how that, the opposite of the magician, that light entered the universe, and now we are here in Malkut. We need to purify the devil. Right. Just become transparent with the word. That right. Mechanically, somehow don't think. Have that light in your inner meditation so right. you relax and calm. That will go down the spinal column. Right. To the root of the heart chakra or the. Right. Okay, and purify it. It will help the light itself. Right. So that's what we do every time we do runes. As you came in, we were practicing the runman. We pray to the solar logos. We're begging Christ to descend into our three braids. We do the seven vowels, the seven runes, which you can view the video of uh, Gnostic Teaching's website. But you also mentioned as far as a mantra, uh, reciting a mantra, you mentioned the Yahweh. Yes. It'll, it'll uh, it, pronounce in the perfect matrimony, will awaken the Kundalini and develop it. E, A, O, pronounced in separate vowels, which is, uh, which is Jehovah. Yot Chava in Hebrew. That's the Latin version. Ignis Agua Origo. Fire, water, spirit. And when you do the runes, you're begging Christ to enter your three brains, your mind, your heart, your nervous systems to charge you so that you have energy and will. So if you do the seven vowels, E, E, O, U, A, M. Those energies are descending on the, your own tree of life in your body with those mantras. And then you do the vowel, which is taking the energy up the spine to the head. So all that energy descends down the tree of life and then enters your cossacks, 
charges everything about your body and your muladhara chakra. And then you do the vowel S, which sends all that crucified energy back up. So when we do the prayer to the solar logos, come unto me and penetrate me, enlighten me, bathe me, go through me and awake within my being. All of those ineffable substances, which are as much a part of thee and as well as a part of me. And that's how we circulate God inside. So we have that power very active. Is Luciferianism a religion? There are people who follow uh, a very, uh, you could say, a mundane version of that kind of doctrine. But there are those who are much more covert about their diabolic faith. And those are the magicians of the Black Lodge. There are people in this physical plane that follow, they say they follow Satanism, but they're just some... Yeah, so, I mean, the term Luciferians, some on video uses interchangeably to refer to the light of Christ, but also when it's in hell, it's the Luciferians, the demons, the Black Lodge. So we should not try to get too caught up on terminology, but Luciferian strict esoteric language is Christ, the bearer of light. We can even say the Virgin Mary is the bearer of light. She's Lucifer because she bears the light of Christ in her womb through the perfect matrimony. But in us, Lucifer is the devil, is blackened. We have to purify him. But it can be done. It just takes a lot of dedication and a lot of suffering to not repeat mistakes. When you face certain ordeals in your daily life and you're struggling with your mind, not to get identified. And if you fail at certain ordeals, you make a mistake at work or whatnot, go home, meditate, and reflect. And then pray to God, show me what I need to do. Let me repeat this situation again at my job and let me do better. And things will change. When you're annihilating egos, your circumstances change. But for that, you need a lot of energy. As we do, like we begin these lectures in the Tarot, we always do the runes. I like to do hours of runes, you know, especially when I lecture because it gives me enough force to communicate more clearly and effectively what I need to do. But if you do that every day, you'll be like a magnet full of fire and energy. And then your daily circumstances will be easier to handle. But of course, when you put that energy into motion, the light of Lucifer, the light of Christ, entering in you and circulating, you stir up the devil. You stir up the, the filth of the mud of the waters, the ego, the particles that like you shake, like pond water, all the muck will surge and surge and, and circulate because you're working with that energy. You start to see things in yourself that are new that are difficult to handle at the beginning. So the desire to change spiritually, to become a better person, um, you know, obviously you don't do that for your inner being, you don't do that for God, but uh, is that ego when it comes to trying to show others that you've changed? Like, would you consider that pride or would someone consider that pride? It depends on the circumstance, you know. I know in some cases when I try teaching people it was pride. Other times it's humility and trying to actually help them. But you can engage that by just observing yourself. You know, sometimes we want to help people to change, but we do it out of a position of superiority, saying, you know, I'm a Gnostic, I know this teaching, I've had experiences in Zamadis and trying to go up to people. That doesn't help anyone. So you just got to help people based on your character and your level of being and just be a good example. And then people see that, they will want to question you as well, what are you doing? Or my clients ask me at my job, why are you so calm? You know, some of my clients can do some pretty crazy things. But I don't identify with them. 
don't be driven by passion, but temperance, serenity. Yeah, because you can try to change other people, but if we're not changing ourselves, then people will always see us more than we see ourselves, our own hypocrisy and our own mind. We say that we're such good people, but we're really just big demons. So it's kind of funny that in the Gnostic movement, you have so many people who go around claiming they're master so-and-so, and then they start excommunicating people like, like the Catholic Church. It's really unfortunate. But, yeah, so what if so-and-so is a sorcerer and a witch? I don't know anyone on this planet, really, in the Gnostic movement, who's an angel. You know, why do we have to judge other people so much? You point your finger at someone, you got three pointing towards you, and your thumb up to heaven saying, look at me, what a fool I am. You know, personally, I've been on that other side of the pendulum where I've had in agnostic groups that I've been in being the butt and joke of certain missionaries and people thinking that I'm really demonic. Certain clairvoyant people seeing things in me that they had experiences about and were judging me. Saying I was no good. Shouldn't associate with me. Which is fine. I don't want to associate with those people anyways. You know, those people are very fanatic. They uh, are very big demons, but they think they're humble sheep. So we don't have any presumptions about who we are. Personally, I know what I am. And I'm working to change. He who knows does not speak. He who speaks does not know. Exactly. You know, the only time I try to teach people is through these lectures. You know, if people want to listen, it's good. You know, if it helps people, it's the important thing. So I've been um, researching a lot on, and actually practicing fasting and, and just silence. And that's something that's remarkable. Yeah, which is why Jesus fasted 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness. It's a beautiful symbol. But it also refers to the actual aesthetic, pra- aesthetic pra- practice of you know, abstaining from a meal or dedicating your time at home if you don't have work to pray. But I warn you that, as you might have seen, that when you start to do that kind of discipline, you get tested and tempted and you start to see things in yourself that are very negative. But it's good. It's a good practice, which is why the Sufis are very explicit about their teaching of being very diligent about not overeating and doing a lot of prayer. What do the Muslims say or the Sufi initiates? Oh no, not to, uh, to not uh, overeat, but to pray a lot. Yeah. And, um, but no, it's a beautiful teaching. They say, the Sufis say that one third of the belly should be filled with food, the other two thirds with the Quran. You know, Muhammad, Prophet Muhammad would always fast as a type of penance. You know, sometimes we overeat, we stimulate too many negative elements in our abdomen. You know, if we eat too much red meat, especially at night, you can get indigestion and have bad dreams because there are seven chakras related to the inferno in our abdomen, our belly. Where those seven gates to hell are represented in the Quran. So if you, that's why they would, you know, in that scripture they talk about fasting a lot. It's part of their ritual prayer, or part of their uh, part of the religion is uh, fasting. It's good, you know, if it's balanced and well-organized and well-done. You know, if you have time to offer work, it's good. Salman Vera recommended fast in his book, Asakaristic Magic. You know, at the end of that book, I think he says, you know, read this book very diligently, daily. Practice it daily. Engage in fast with milks, fruits, and honey. Like good, but in these times, it's hard to find good milk, too. You know, you can uh, go around, find organic, or you can find uh, raw milk, which is the best. But... In these times, it's very difficult to find good food, but you do your best.
static, among other uh, recommended topics. It has the solar energy. They call that the bee was a sacred animal. There was a reason. Not that the bee has it, but the bee was the shadow. And it's interesting, you look at a beehive, but it follows. They're hexagonal shapes, which is uh, six, six of the so Yeah. It's interesting. It's, it's full of solar energy, great for the bird's body. But he said, don't overdo it. Uh, maybe a tablespoon or two at the most. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, and the bee is often considered a symbol of the White Lodge because we are the bee. Uh, a dev- it's really a, the bee is a devolving animal that produces something very superior, synthetic, and beautiful. Salman Vera mentions that in ancient eras there was a group of a race of people that degenerated themselves, became through many ages the bees and the ants and the termites that we have today. Through a process of mutation and experimenting with science and getting rid of, he said, religious freedom, the culture became very communistic, communist, and they degenerated ter- terribly. Hence the bee having mentality. Yeah. But at the same time, the bee is an imperfect animal that produces something so essential to nature. You know, the honey is something profoundly beautiful. The honey is a symbol of the White Lodge. We are here working like bees. We're trying to accumulate the solar light through runes, through prayer, through mantra, working with the flowers of our spinal column, creating the honey of the soul, the bee. And uh, that nourishes the soul. It's the sweetness of the soul. The sexual energy, when you transmute it, is the sweetness of God. But where does it emerge? It emerges from a devolving animal. So that gives hope for us as a symbol. Lucifer is the power of the sunlight that gets transmuted from the base pollen into the light of Christ. The sweetness of the soul produces honey. Great beauty. And, you know, in terms of diet, it's good, as you're saying. But the symbolism of that, especially when the hexagon of the beehive represents the six-pointed star, the arcana of the lovers, which is why couples always use the term honey. But, um, if you have any more comments or questions, we'll conclude. Thank you for coming. To learn more about the knowledge covered in this lecture, we invite you to study the books available through Glorian Publishing or GnosticTeachings.org. You can also view free online courses, lectures, transcriptions, and articles available at chicagonosis.org. All of this is made possible by the support of listeners like you. Have you benefited from this knowledge? Help others by making a tax-deductible donation at chicagonosis.org. We thank you for listening. We hope that these lectures aid you in developing your complete and divine potential. May all beings be happy. May all beings be joyful. May all beings be in peace.